to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Smart Connector podcast. I have such an exciting guest for you today, a fantastic entrepreneur and a furniture designer. His his business is so cool. So we're going to get into this, but first of all, I'd just like to welcome Edgar Blazona. Welcome, Edgar. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about today and looking been looking forward to this call. Definitely. So Edgar is a modernist American furniture designer, and he's a founder of the wildly popular DTC sofa brand, Benchmade Modern, and a high school dropout turned graffiti artist turned serial entrepreneur. So we're going to get into all of those things. Edgar got his start in the furniture industry because of need. He was just young and broke, and his first apartment didn't have any furniture. So he taught himself how to build some. So along with starting some several of his own companies, including Modular Dwellings, which is a prefab backyard shelter company, Edgar also sharpened his skills in the corporate world at Pottery Barn and Restoration Hardware. And as he saw customers accustomed to waiting months for sofas and sectionals that realistically only took a few weeks to make, he realized that there must be a better way. He saw that gap in the market and he founded Benchmade Modern in 2015 to disrupt that norm. Now, if you haven't had a look at this furniture, you've got to go to Instagram. You will be absolutely blown away. We were just having a conversation beforehand, and I was just saying, I love this furniture. So make sure that you go to Instagram and check it out if you're into furniture, into style, design, the minimalist, modernist, but also just beautifully crafted look. So I'm a big fan already. We haven't even got into the interview. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about where it all started then, Edgar. So high school dropout. So where were you at that time? Yeah, I grew up in San Francisco and I decided, well, frankly, I was going to a Catholic high school and it just really wasn't the right fit for me. And I had an art teacher there and he said, there's this thing called School of the Arts. And I don't know if you remember the old like fame. It was a TV show from way back then. Yeah. You know, we all watched it. It was an amazing show. And so I ended up going to this place, School of the Arts. And while I was there, I was in typical painting classes. And the weird thing, I, I just didn't fit in. I still didn't fit in. And I would be in this like, you know, fine painting class and I would be painting pieces of furniture or giant like old steel that I pulled off of a building. And my teacher was like, this is fine painting. I'd be like, well, I don't really find paint. I'm more of a designer. And so I, I left, frankly, I, I built some furniture. I sold it to this, well, I, I was brought to this gallery and they sold it within the weekend. It was so amazing. It was back in the day when like a $20 bill meant something. I got $400 in it was like, it was spectacular. And, and that really changed my, my path, so to speak. It was, it was quite, a, quite a moment in time. And of course, a great time to be in San Francisco as well as the tech boom started to take off. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I would imagine that, as you said, as the tech boom was starting off, that's obviously very young, kind of vibrant, experimental, innovative, creative. Those are those kind of, well, they're those values, aren't they? They're, they're kind yeah. of startup yeah. values. So I would imagine that you doing something creative, interesting, innovative and different was definitely going to capture their imagination. Sort of. It, it was a tough time, actually, because while the barrier was like this gold rush, Mm-hmm. There was a movement, you know, to be the next Facebook, to be the next Google. Furniture didn't quite fit in. Uh-huh. And, you know, frankly, I kind of missed the boat on that tech boom the first time. The second time when it came around, you know, in, in 2008, something like that, it had, you know, kind of crashed, you know, frankly. And then, and then as it grew again from 2008 to, you know, to now, really, I decided I would find a way in and, you know, I let the last one pass me by. And so I, I, you know, I built a business and and raised money on it, figured out a way to, to build a venture funded business, you know, which is very different from a lifestyle business, so to speak. Yeah. You got to have a plan to get to a hundred million. You know, that's a lot of upholstery. Yeah, (laughs) it really is. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And we built Benchmade Modern. The whole thing was around, you know, building sofas incredibly quick. I've been at a million dinner parties and everyone always says to me, oh my God, I ordered this piece of furniture from so-and-so and it still hasn't arrived. Like, it's kind of this little ding that everyone wants to talk to the furniture designer, but everyone also wants to share their horrible experience. And, and I thought, how can I fix this? And, and as cliche as that is, how can I fix this? At least I was a founder going into a business that I knew something about, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't just picking a problem and trying to solve it. And so I set out then to to build a very transparent furniture business. If we have the fabric, we're going to make it for you. If we don't, we're going to tell you that sort of thing. But I also think the thing about your furniture is that it is very beautiful. It's very beautifully designed. And I've got an eye for design. We were talking earlier. And of course, I also started my career in, in a creative business with, I ran a design agency actually at one point. Mm-hmm. And so I recognize good design. I know that being fast and delivering fast is something that we all expect these days because we've got used to the the speed of kind of Amazon deliveries and Amazon Prime and all of those kind of things. So I understand that reducing friction is important, but but your designs are beautiful. That furniture is stunning. Did you design it? Do you design it yourself? Did you design it yourself in the beginning? Or do you have a team of designers now? Or how did you keep that design quality really high? Because those pieces are desirable. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. That's a nice compliment. Yes, most of the designs are mine. I do have a I don't have a team of designers so to speak. I am the the head designer, yeah. you could say. We make tweaks along the way. Comments, "Oh, I think the arm is too thick" or "I think this." And but ultimately, I have the the ultimate say. I I I love design. I grew up with in a construction family of modernists, right? And my favorite book as a, as a child was this book called High Tech, which is like, it was all about in, industrial, like manhole covers that were polished and chromed and legs on it turned into a coffee table, that sort of thing. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And, and that has inspired me as a designer along the way. I have to say, though, 
the business that I'm in, unfortunately, design is 2% of the job. I mean, we have to have great designs to, to sell furniture, to have furniture in people's homes. Mm-hmm. It's that other stuff that's the challenge, right? Yeah. How am I going to get it to the home? How am I going to you know, manage the customer experience? It's all of those things that are like really the challenge. As much as I love design, boy, who knew that it would only become such a small part of my day? Yeah, and, and you make a very, very good point about customer experience because, you know, so much of your brand is actually tied up in the customer experience, isn't it? They say that brand is is what what they say about you when you're not in the room, right? What they're going to say about you is, this was amazing. I loved it yes. from start to finish. Or they're going to say, do you know what? It looked good, but I had a really bad experience. Oh, my gosh. You're <laughs> You are so right. We we talk a lot about turning the customer into a brand advocate. It's a big thing of mine, right? Things go wrong. A shipping problem, maybe a damage, something like that. But at the end of the day, we need to turn that customer into a, a brand advocate. So yesterday, funny story on that. Yesterday, I'm looking through the back end of our Shopify site, right? And and I'm and I'm looking at customers have, that have purchased more than a couple times. And I find a customer there. He's purchased three times. I'm clicking through his orders. I'm seeing ways. I'm like, okay, this is an interior designer. And so I'm, I'm literally, I'm on the call with my team. You know, we're doing a Zoom. And I'm like, I'm going to send this guy a text. I'm just going to tell him thank you. Here's his phone number. So I send this guy a text and I say, thank you so much for, for your order, your, your orders, you know. And he's like, oh my God, I love your company, all that. And I, and I, and I literally, I said exactly what you just said to him. I said, it's people like you who are our best advertisement, right? Mm -hmm. He's out there telling his friends, he, he mentioned that he said, I, I tell my friends all the time, go to Benchmade Modern and it's so cool. And and it, it just reminded me. And I literally, I said this to the whole team, like, guys, this is a reminder, turning the customer into brand advocates, no matter what, no matter what goes wrong Let's turn them into that. And it was a real good, not only a feeling of success, right? But, but it makes us feel good about what we do and, and our job. And, and, and we do care. And it was, it was a really nice experience. Yeah, that's a, that's a really important point. And as you said, it, it doesn't just make you feel good about what you do. It makes everybody in the business feel good about what they're doing because we all want to make an impact, don't we? It's a kind of basic human need, isn't yeah. it? Feel pride in what we do. Most people want that, right? They come to work, they want to feel proud. And so, yeah, that's a great story. That is really good. So, Edgar, what I'd like to do is also just, if you don't mind, just go back a little bit and talk about your graffiti career because that's <laughs> kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. What, were you one of those kind of like bad boys that sprays on tra- the side of trains and things like that? Or what was it all about? <laughs> well, I have to say I did have a moment of, of that time. Uh, you kind of <laughs> have to have a moment of that time to to kind of grow up through the chain of command kind of thing. You yeah. start out riding on buses and just riding your name, you <laughs> I know. I one of those, yeah. A little tagger. And then if you, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, right? And so I started then going to nightclubs. I started then going to corner stores and saying, hey, 
I'll paint your wall uh, if you pay for the paint, that sort of thing. And then I started doing murals and, and then we started painting all the nightclubs and then we started painting for bands and then Lollapalooza and festivals and stuff like that. And I, I, I turned what was sort of a criminal act into a very public act right? I'm Blaze and here I am. And maybe all that stuff I did in the past, I hope you don't mind, but now I'm doing <laughs> these beautiful murals and look how much I've changed and grown, so to speak. So yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a, you know, rough era running from the cops kind of thing. It gives me grit. It gives me grit today. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's really fun. I mean, of course, the whole kind of graffiti thing is very counterculture, isn't it? It's hip hop. And was it, was it anything to do with kind of music as well? Or was it, was there a music side element to it? Or was it just purely visual? Yeah, I mean, when you think about graffiti, you think about hip hop, you think about New York, you think about rap. And yes, we were very the Beastie Boys, Far Side. You know, these bands were coming up that were were starting to kind of create this culture, right? Mm -hmm. it, it had kind of moved from New York to, to California and, and all the major cities. And we were all building our own cultures. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was my outlet for art. It was my outlet for creativity. It was my outlet for design. And mm -hmm. I, and I was again, a businessman. I frankly, I wasn't the best graffiti artist, but I hung with some really good ones and I could sell, you know, us as a package really, really well. And I, I think it was one of those, those starting days that I really learned how to talk to the customer, so to speak, mm -hmm. and, and, and convince them this little young kid, Hey man, I'm going to paint this giant mural on your, on your building. And if you'll just prepay for the paint, like this kid's going to rob me. It was, <laughs> I had to like kind of change my pitch and really learn how to work within the parameters of adults at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So just to go back to the furniture, the whole furniture scene has really changed, hasn't it, over the last couple of decades? Because furniture has become a lot more disposable, hasn't it? And I'm yes. just wondering what changes you've seen and how you've kind of responded to those changes. Because we've got IKEA, haven't we? And all this yes. kind of throwaway stuff. Uh, yeah. On the one hand, and then on the other hand, we've got antiques and then we've got high quality stuff like the stuff that you're doing. So I'm just interested to just get an overview yeah. um, from yeah, your would love to. would love to touch on that. You know, unfortunately, I was one of the people back at Pottery Barn back in the day mm -hmm. when we started making what we called fashion forward furniture. Right. Mm -hmm. Meaning that a sofa at the, at the time was like this was 20 years ago, but at the time was like twelve hundred dollars. Right. This was a relatively expensive, but also inexpensive upholstered furniture. Right. So it was kind of coming from the era that maybe our parents had where you had the same sofa. You spent, you know, seven thousand dollars, this enormous amount of money for this centerpiece in your home that then you would reupholster when you just couldn't stand it any longer. And yeah. then Pottery Barn came along. We were a design driven, you know, retailer. We had, we were one of the first, we were the first 
major retailer to have an in-house design team. And so we started designing stuff that was not disposable, but we called it fashion forward product, meaning that, you know, it, it kind of fit with the times. But then when the times changed a bit, you didn't feel so bad about getting rid of it. So that meant more of like a five to seven year type type product. And I, I'm kind of um, embarrassed about that a bit. I wish that we were making product that lasted a lot longer. And Mm -hmm. I wished that looking back on it, I wish I made product that was designed to live, you know, in multiple styles. Right. Mm -hmm. And so again, I've been a modernist all my life and a little bit of modernism within the home seems to kind of continue to move through all the different fashion styles. And, and so at Benchmade, we really try to make a product that that is going to last a long, long time, kind of going back, trying to find the balance between this piece of furniture that is as much as a car and then not disposable. So how do we do that? We put great materials in the product. I'm all about what I like to say is what's under the hood, right? You you don't know. You take a picture of my sofa and you take a picture of a $1,000 sofa. They look the same relatively on a photo. But what's under the hood? What's going to make it last? And I really try to put the best materials so that I'm not building disposable furniture, as you said. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have this kind of uh, discussion with people that a lot of people think there is no place in today's world for elite brands because or quality, high quality brands, because everybody's struggling for money and the global economy and that. And it's like, look, this is just completely your perspective. In fact, high quality brands and elite brands, they are very, very, very popular. And usually the profit margins are are high because there will always be people that they want quality and they're willing to pay for it, right? It's just that it's not for everybody, is it? Yeah, hundred so, percent. I like to call it buy it once, right? Like buy it once, yeah. just when not have to buy it a bazillion times. And and I think there's a there's definitely a economy that is supporting the higher rent stuff. Uh, the masses, if you're going for the masses, you're you're creating a product that is less expensive. And that's not to say, I mean, there's some great brands out there producing product. I mean, you mentioned IKEA. I mean, IKEA does some amazing things. I've, I've been up in competition in my previous design lives and working for bigger retailers. I've been in competition for uh, factory space. And one of the ways IKEA does it, they go in there and they say, I'll buy all of your factory space, you know, for 10 more percent, right? Versus this. And, and we're all like, oh, and so they get this price that's so inexpensive for the quality they get. So IKEA does a great job on many things. You know, our customers have moved past IKEA. You know, that's, that's probably three levels down. Yeah. But, but we, we find that, that there's definitely a world, the economy has been pretty good, at least, at least here uh, in the U S for, for quite a while. And we have plenty of customers and, and you can, you can look at uh, restoration hardware as public numbers to see, you know, the same kind of customer base is very much alive and kicking. Yeah, yeah. And and do you sell globally? Do you ship globally? 
No, so. unfortunately we don't. It's so expensive. Upholstery, that's one thing that's very tough to scale outside mm-hmm. of the U.S. Yeah. Um, because you can't really ship it. So if I were to, to, to send, you know, something to Europe or something like that, you know, I would have to find a factory there. It would be great. I'd love to do it. We just haven't done it yet. Yeah, I'm sure that you will, though. And the thing is, the US is a huge market anyway. So I'm sure that there's plenty of business there for now, in any case. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So did you have any uh, particular kind of icons or, or sort of heroes or people who you felt that you looked up to when you were starting your business and in those early stages? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, as cliche as it is, and I, and I want to explain this too, that Charles Eames and Ray Eames were, were a huge influence to me in my life for many, for years and years and years, well before they've kind of come back again, you yeah. know, um, they're, when you really dig into what they were doing you know, way, way, way back in the day when they first started bending plywood and, and creating this product, they were, they were creating product that was clean, well-designed, simple product, right? That, that was sort of for the masses. And, and they were really focused on that. And it's a little bit cliche now because it's like, of course, the Eames were your, were your uh, inspiration because they're so popular today. But as a modernist, as a kid, I've been following those guys for a long time and trying to emulate. I'll tell you one other person, too, that really has inspired me along the way is Donald Judd. Donald Judd was a modernist sculptor, a furniture maker as well, but a sculptor, a painter, and really one of the the first iconic modernists in the U.S., He took over a place called Marfa, Texas. And if you're ever in Texas and you can get anywhere near there, go check that out. He took over an army barracks and there's all these dilapidated buildings and you open up this creakety door and walk inside and there's this beautiful sheetrocked white gallery with, you know, Dan Flavin lighting in it. I mean, it's just the most magnificent place you've ever been. And just his, his vision and his, his push into into, frankly, Marfa, Texas. It's just, it's just remarkable. And I, I've watched him for years. Fortunately, he passed away, but he was one of our greats. Yeah. And his legacy lives on, right? That's absolutely. the thing about great art, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I loved that guy. I was, he was a great uh, inspiration. Yeah. So, Edgar, how can people actually, what's the best place if they want to browse your, your catalog and actually get deeper into your world? Where, where, yeah. Where's the best place for them to go to do that? Yeah, they should go to BenchmadeModern.com. And I'll tell you a little trick. I'm sure you'll love our stuff. You'll love our furniture. But the first thing to do is, is get some swatches. We send you the most amazing box of swatches. It's, it's like... 14 by 14 inch giant box, a couple inches tall. It's got a hundred swatches in it, all these beautiful colors and leathers and whatnot. It comes a couple days later. It's really impressive. It's kind of my little trick. Like oh. I'm going to be the biggest, most badass guy in the door, you know, the quickest with this beautiful thing. And, and it really, it it's to signal to you, man, these guys mean business. And so they can come to Benjamin Modern, check it out. 
Go to any of the product pages, check out our sofas. And you can even hit the print button. I don't know if you saw that, but we send you a full scale rollout piece of paper of whatever custom size sofa you picked. And you can lay it out on your floor and like a giant corner sectional, you lay it out on your floor and you can see, does my family, you can sit on it. They fit between the arms. Does my husband, can he fit head to toe between the arms? It's, it's, it's quite a cool thing. And it's, um, it's not some fancy AI or app or anything. It's just a big giant piece of paper, old school style that we lay out on the floor. I really love that. I've been doing a, like a bit of research while well, I've, I've been producing a, just a piece of content recently about this thing called Purple Goldfish Strategy. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's based on uh, what's called giving little unexpected extras. And yes. I just love that. I love those ideas of like the swatch box and the, and the cutout. You know, it's, it's just lovely. It really is because they surprise and delight, don't they? It, it means like, everything to people. It's a real differentiator. And when a business that there's lots of choices, it's those little differentiators that make the difference. Definitely. Definitely. I really love that. Yeah. So what challenges would you say you've encountered along the way? Because Edgar, your business is very successful now, but it's not easy to grow a business like yours. So what have been your challenges along the way? We have been through the ringer. To get here was quite the, quite the journey. We raised money early on and, and in the tech world. I had to build a small factory to get anyone to you know, uh, listen to me. In fact, back then we were making sofas in 24 hours and people thought I was crazy, right? And, and so <laughs> I, I had to build a factory in order to prove that I could make sofas in 24 hours I had to do that ahead of raising any money, frankly. So wow. um, we did all that. We, we raised money. The ups and downs are just like incredible. I, I like to tell new founders that are coming in, in and raising money, like don't let the highs take you too high and or the lows take you too low. Because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you wake up in the morning, 10 o'clock, you get an email and you're like, oh my God, we're going to be rich. We're going to, we're going to be like, I'm retiring tomorrow. And then literally by 12 o'clock, you get another email and you're like, oh my God, we're going out of business. Like it's that high and that low. And, and yeah. it's, it's really difficult. One of the things that I think that I, that I really struggled with early on is we didn't raise enough money. And you know, and, and frankly, we couldn't produce enough in the factory that I mm-hmm. had, had made. And we really struggled there. And, and uh, we were on the ropes. Like we were, we were out. And I, I actually went and took another job. I, I was working at Restoration Hardware while still keeping Benjamin Modern running kind of in the background. And uh, we were able to pull through. But man, it was, some, it was some hairy times. You know, when you take the customer's money up front, when you make these purchases, and in a way, that's like, man, I, I owe them a sofa, but man, yeah. I'm about to shut down tomorrow. How am I going to make them the sofa? And so you kind of have to keep grinding it out. And I, I think that was probably one of our biggest mistakes and, and a bit naive on my part is I just didn't, I didn't raise enough to have enough of a war chest to get me through the tough times. Yeah. And, you know, when you say you were naive, I mean, look, why Why would you be any different? Because we learn through our mistakes, don't we? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you think, you know, I was in a business 
that is, you know, make a dollar, right? Invest the dollar back in, right? And, and in this day and age to scale a business, those days are over. It's all about raise money, work upside down. Don't, don't make Don't worry about making money. Just, just get customers. That model that we learn here in the Bay Area, we're like, we're trained to that model. Who cares about profitability? But in the furniture world, it's a little bit different. Profitability is everything. And, and thankfully, we're finally profitable. And, and, yeah. and you know, so here we are running a pretty successful business. It's an amazing journey. I would recommend it for anybody if you have thick skin. You got to have thick skin. <laughs> yeah, thick skin. And also, you've got to have some resilience, don't you? I mean, it's thick skin in a way implies, well, you've got to stand up to the critics, but you've sure. also got to be able to to stand up to your inner critic, don't you, when those challenging times come? Yeah, you are absolutely right. And and I, I, I coming from my graffiti era, that kind of punk ass era, I want to like flex a little bit. I want to give a little bit of like, and we go through these ups and downs and I'm the sofa king. And then like next day I was like, I'm losing my empire. And so you have to, you really have to, to be able to ride the tide. And it's, it's very difficult. And when, when I, I have a family and our expenses are not cheap. And so there's a, who's are, I mean, really, no matter what level you're at, who's are, and, and you get in a position like, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I can tell you, I, I can let you in on a little secret, man, it's hard. I mean, it is really, really difficult at times when you are driving the bus right? And you are, gosh, did I make one wrong turn? Did I, should I have kept that on? Did I hire the wrong person? You know, and, and it's, it's really a challenge. Like I said, you got to have thick skin, but man, it feels so good to knock it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. How important was it to have mentors or people around you along the way? Did you have anybody who you could turn to apart from your family, for example, who was helping you and supporting you through those times? Yeah, man, I wish I did. I I didn't have enough mentors, right? Mm -hmm. I I didn't have enough people that I could really lean on. I had some tech tech mentors that really helped a lot. I'll tell you a a funny story that kind of changed my life mentorship wise. And um, the CEO of, of Restoration Hardware, who was my first real boss at Pottery Barn. He pretty much made Pottery Barn. His name is Gary Friedman. He's an amazing um, entrepreneur. And, and I, I was asked, I was a child basically at that job. And I, he asked, well, what does everyone think of this presentation? And I stood up and said something that I really shouldn't have had, shouldn't have said. And honestly, I went back to my desk and started packing my bags as I thought I was going to be fired and I'd only been there a couple of weeks. And I, looking back at it, I probably shouldn't have even had a point of view. All of a sudden the phone rang and it was Gary. The, the secretary came running over and she said, Gary's on the phone for you. And I, oh my God. Like this is the guy running Pottery Barn. Like how could he be calling this little kid in my little cubicle? And he got on the phone and he said, I want to thank you for standing up and saying something. A good designer will always stand up and say something, no matter how hard it is to hear. And that 
one thing changed my life. That gave uh-huh. me the confidence to go out and say, you know what? I am a designer. God darn it. I'm a designer and I'm going to have a point of view. And honestly, I literally, I mean, I had stuff in a box. I literally started taking my stuff out of the box because I knew that I was, I was safe. And it, it, it was really, it changed my life. And so while Gary has been in and out of my life over the years, I wouldn't necessarily call him a mentor, but on the mentor kind of thing, he sure changed my life forever. Yeah, I mean, that was really important. And I think sometimes along the way, people just say things to us and the penny drops and it's like, yeah, this is it. And of course, creatives, I come from an advertising agency background. I worked in media and entertainment and TV Mm -hmm. for around 20 years. And you have to have ideas in that business. You are expected to have ideas. And if you don't have ideas, you just get dismissed as irrelevant. Yes. So creatives do have to have ideas. And I think what he said about you speaking up and actually having an idea, it was like validation, wasn't it, really, of your own creative energy? Yes, yes. Especially in a place surrounded by other designers who are sort of afraid. I mean, the reality of that situation was they were afraid to actually stand up and say anything. Uh And maybe I was a bit naive, but at the same time, I did have a point of view. And I did think it was a bad decision that we head down that road at Mm -hmm. Pottery Barn. And you're right. It's those sort of things that, that are said to you along the way that, that mean everything and, and, and really can give you the confidence. That was like the dad saying, you know, good job, son. And, and it, <laughs> it, it, it was the, it's the same equivalent. And it changed my life. I think about that often, actually. I remember when I was uh, studying design, I only did design as a postgraduate. As I said, I, I was a designer for a very uh-huh. short period of time before I went into yeah. marketing and all sorts of things. But I do remember one of my tutors saying to me, look, when you get stuck, it's because you've got an idea that you're hanging on to too tight. Uh-huh. And that it is, usually, it is usually the idea that you think is the most important and the one that you can't let go. And that yes. is the very same idea that is keeping you stuck. And yes. once you get rid of that idea and you actually just throw it out, then you start to make traction. Yes. And Those were wise words because, of course, they apply creatively. But I've often thought, you know, that applies in business as well sometimes. Sometimes you just get fixated on something and it's not really the right way. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever had that experience of like, actually, I need to do an about turn now. Has it ever happened? Yes, a thousand times. I mean, that's, that's kind of the problem, you know. I mean, we as designers have a thousand ideas, right? And and if you're working on all of them, first of all, you're going to explode, right? But but we have so many ideas. Some are good, some are bad. It's the ones we take a leap for can either be the home run or not, right? Be the total failure. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the mark of a good, I mean, really a good entrepreneur, a good, I don't know, designer is the is the dance between those items, those, those ideas, right? And, and how you move past one and go to the other for the time being and then go back to the other and then maybe full throttle on, on another and how you do that and then how you bail on what could be the best idea you've ever had but might wreck the ship. 
going after that idea. And, and I, I think that's the, that's really the mark of a successful entrepreneur, frankly. Yes, yes. So what advice would you give, Edgar, to budding entrepreneurs in your space, creative people who want to build a business and they want it to be a really good, good business, a successful and profitable business? What would you say to them? Yeah, first, I would say, how much of your life do you want to be creating art or design, right? That's a big part of it. If, if that's what makes you happy, maybe being an entrepreneur is not the right thing to do because it becomes such a small part of your day-to-day. I have friends that are, are very happy, you know, designing for some of the best brands, you know, in the world. And that's all they do is design. And a good portion of their day is, is, is filled with that. When you make that transition to an entrepreneur, you know, the design becomes such a small part of, of your day to day because it's a lot of it's people management and a lot of it's idea management, you know, insurance, taxes. I mean, all of those things that you have to kind of become good at, at all of them. So that's, I think that's probably the biggest advice that I would, that I would give someone. I would just say, really make sure that, that that's what you want to do. Cause I don't think you can be a designer and run a business secondary. If, if what I'm saying like designer, yeah. cause it's, there's just so much of it and you, you kind of have to have to let loose a little bit and, and, and let other people help. And because there's so much more to be done on the business side to yeah. get your art out there. Yeah, yeah. Very, very wise words. Thank you so much for that, Edgar. Now, before we go, I just wanted to touch on this one aspect that we haven't really talked a lot about, which is the tech. So you mentioned that you have a, is it an app or, or what has been the tech innovation that yeah. I'm into yeah. your business? Yeah, well, we tech, we've done all kinds of things. At one point we had a robotic, you know, I built a a robotic, basically a sofa vending machine. You know, you'd walk up and you'd you'd swipe through this app and you'd hit the show me button and a robot would grab the sofa off a wall and bring it and put it in front of your feet. You know, wow. one thing we learned is that we didn't need that, right? As we were as we were growing our business, it yeah, maybe it got us some press. And so there's some good investment there, but, but we didn't necessarily need that. You know, we use a lot of stuff in the background, part of, part of how we manage the, the sofa business at scale is what's happening in the background. And, and I'm fixated on, on bringing what I call card swipe to machine, meaning that when the customer swipes the card from that point on documents and whatnot goes to the machine. We're not quite there yet, um, but we're getting closer and closer, you know, as we manage the, the operations process on the back end, update emails and, oh, your sofa's in sewing right now. And, oh, your sofa's in packaging right now. And how that all happens and the automation of all that is, yeah. is, is pretty amazing. Some of it, I'll say we, we do it by hand. We haven't, we haven't gotten there yet. And, and we trigger these things by hand. But our tech stack is getting better and better all the time. And everything is finally starting to come together from fabric management to customer management and, and, and all the steps in between. 
Yeah, it's a process, isn't it, tech, and actually building a business, building a business using tech and automating systems. Obviously, there's a lot of tech in marketing as well. And it is just something that it doesn't happen overnight. It can take years, no, can't it? No. No, and it never ends. It never, yeah, never ends. End. No, it never it, ends. <laughs> it never ends. You're like, I, I thought we had that, you know, and and then no, here we are building it again, or building a version of it again, or yeah, or we're incorporating something new that's just come out. That's of course, yeah, it's always totally. yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's amazing too. People don't people don't understand, you know. It yeah, there's uh, Shopify is a great example of a of a good retail, but. Man, I mean, we don't use anything anything standard on Shopify anymore. Like everything is custom. So I'm like, I want to talk to the customer. I want a button here that I can they can speak right to me. And, and you know, everyone's like, Oh, I, we can't do that. I'm like, Sure, we can. You know, we'll figure it out. It's quite the adventure. It, it is limitless to an extent. If you can think of it, you can probably find someone to build it. That's pretty cool. It's fun. But going back to that thing of like, well, which, which ideas do you go after and which ones sink your ship? Sometimes some yeah. of my ideas are like borderline going to sink the ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. And I also think this thing about tech, it's very easy to become mesmerized by it. And actually, do you know what? We could do this and we could do that. And at the end of the day, we've all got to remember that if we're running a business, then then really there is a discipline of thought that's required, isn't there, in terms totally. of actually starting with the end in mind and not getting distracted by yes. this, that, or the other. Yes. Yeah. And or getting upside down on your your profit and loss where you're where you've just spent too much money. I mean, none of that stuff is free, right? And I'm not a programmer, so I can't stay up all night programming the latest little button. And those <laughs> those things can can really, they can add up. And a website to build is expensive. It takes a lot to manage it. And you mentioned marketing. Marketing is, you would be amazed at, at what we spend in, in either marketing to the customer or, or even shipping to the customer, all of those things. It's, it's, it's quite, of, um, quite a chunk. Yeah, but, but look, I mean, Edward, Edgar, hats off to you. You have actually done it, which is incredible. You. you built this amazing business. And Thank you. you know, I really want to congratulate you on not just the quality of your product, but also just the way that you've actually put it all together. Really amazing. And yeah, thanks thank a lot. That, that means a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining us today as well and just telling your story. It's been really fantastic. And also just to get into some of the discussions about creativity and uh, running a creative business. I think that's that's been fantastic. So, Edgar, how can people get hold of you if they actually want to contact you directly? Sure, sure, sure. Well, they can go to benchmademodern.com. That will, you know, get them to our site. They can find me at Twitter, Edgar Blazona. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Edgar Blazona as well. So I'm happy to field any questions or, or anything, you know, just, just send me a line. I, I love talking to people. I, I spend quite a bit of time responding to those sort of things. It, it's fun. So yeah, check us out there. And I have a code for you as well, SMART15. For 15% off, that can be used anytime, no matter if we're having a sale or not. That will certainly certainly help out a bit. So I appreciate your time today. It's, it's been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, yeah, you too. Thank you so much for joining us, Edgar, and um, see you again soon. And I'll look forward to all the new furniture and 
the new ranges. And yeah, as soon as they come out, I will be on it and admiring them, even though I can't actually buy them yet here in the UK. Well, we'll we'll, we'll get you something. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll work something out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, thank you. Bye. Bye. for listening in if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world i work one-to-one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives i also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients and if this is something you'd like to do too why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com slash masterclass and I'll show you how.